Breaking. 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 Uh, imposter. The imposter. Imposter. Breaking. The imposter. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Breaking the Imposter. I'm your host, Jermaine Ward, and today I have with me Nico Barnett. Nico is a product of the sorry. Oh my gosh, product of directors, right? He's a director of product at BitSpawn. And Nico, um, like you to introduce yourself. Tell everybody what you do. Yeah, sure. So as Jermaine had mentioned, my name is Nico Barnett. Um, I'm currently a director of product at BitSpawn Technologies. The company is actually a blockchain company that's kind of breaking the barriers a bit and going into, um, you know, esports, but leveraging a cryptocurrency in order to build a community in which gives back to all of the gamers that play these games day, day in and day out. So that's a little bit about um, my role and about myself. I'm a 31-year-old man uh, living in Toronto, um, and I've, I've been in Toronto now for about three, four years, I would say. Um, and, you know, enjoying every day of it, especially the lockdown part of it. Yeah, for sure. Lockdown is making everybody enjoy it. That's exactly why you went down to Toronto. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I spent half of my years in Toronto and inside of my own condo. Yeah. And for the company Bitspawn, is it for mm-hmm. professionals? Is it for casuals? Um, who's your demographic that you're usually um, helping? Yeah, sure. So it, it's a it's a mixture of all. Um, and then I would even throw in organizers as well. Um, so the idea is that we, we want to touch on all the different aspects or levels of play players inside of that industry. Um, but one of the biggest problems that I think Bispon is tackling is the fact that there's no consistency in terms of payout. Um, one of the, the issues that we found, even as me being professional in esports for a while, um, is that players that win events or even finish in top three and there's a payout, that payout takes quite a while to get to that, that winner. Um, whether it be same day, which almost never happens, or it takes a couple of weeks, um, sometimes even a couple months, um, players are, are kind of left in the dark until they get that payout. And it, it's become um, a normality for a lot of users, which I think is not really fair because some might need it right then and there, might some might not. But either way, the putting in your time into any kind of event, you should you should reap the benefits as soon as possible. Yeah, waiting a few weeks for your prize pool does not sound like the ideal user experience to have. It seems like maybe, maybe even if you tell me transparency, it's going to take three weeks. It's like, but I competed today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what type of like what games do you cover um, right now? Or are you just like all competitive games? Yeah, good, good question. So right now we're kind of all over. So one of the other advantages of what Bispawn is trying to accomplish is is building a lot more automation. And automation on blockchain is very unique in a, in a sense, just because, you know, it's not one uh, centralized server that requires all these API calls and it can become a heavy call. And a decentralized server, it's a lot easier. So in this case, one of the things that we're focused on is right now is Warzone just because there are APIs that are available that we can leverage and, and create a lot of automation. And then some of the other games that we're looking at as well is um, CSGO, hopefully Apex in the near future, because uh, I believe that that might be the next thing EA might actually give APIs for, we'll see. And we're looking at League of Legends, which I know requires some kind of uh, level of approval, which we're going to explore as well. So those are kind of the games we're looking at. But long story short, we are focused on building out the manual tournaments, which almost every gaming platform has today. 
And the idea is that we'll be able to support any game. We'll just have to have different uh, iterations of setting up a tournament depending on the game that you select. Oh, for sure, because it's different settings and rules and everything you need for FPS versus you're playing a fighter, right? So it's not exactly it's not the same easy done, easy go. So I know I know playing uh, not even professionally, just amateur um, Call of Duty, amateur Street Fighter with tournament rules. <laughs> yeah, um, it's exactly. it's vastly different how you set it up and things like that. So that's pretty interesting. Yep. And how did you um, yourself even decide to go into this field and to work at BitSpawn? Like, what made you decide to go that direction? I've kind of been in esports for a while, so it wasn't too far fetched that that I am working for an esports company just with a flair of blockchain. I would say that I've started esports during university. My first event would have been at the there. I forget what it's called right now. YMCA. Um, community center on search the G Groves Grovesner, I think there's a YMCA there. And that was the first event I held live. That's the first esports event I had. It was under a company called E squared gaming. Funny enough, someone actually called me today to ask me if I still have the active like website and that this is over like what, 10 years ago. I'm like, wow, such a weird coincidence. But, but yeah, that was the first company I, I created and I held an event there and I had about five of the top players in Canada come through and it was for a prize pool, but like a thousand five hundred or something, which was really high at the time. So when I, when I managed to like get all that money kind of built up, it, it was like a big attractor for some of these top players, but then also a detractor for a lot of amateurs that are like, yeah, there's no way I'm going to win that. So there's no point even bother bothering to go to that. Um, but it, it was a very eye opening experience. So for me, like that was around, yeah, 10 years ago now that that's when I've started getting into the industry. But into BitSpawn, why BitSpawn out of all other um, companies that are available? I've been doing contract work with BitSpawn for a while, so it's it was kind of like an easy transition for me. I've been doing it on the weekends when I had time because I was doing a full-time job as well. But when that came to a point where blockchain got a huge amount of excitement and growth in the last, I would say, maybe five, six months, Right then and there, it was like they got a bunch of funding and they they wanted to accelerate the program and what they wanted to accomplish. And they approached me and said, hey, are you interested? And I said, hell yeah. So that's where I am now and why I'm, why I'm at BitSpot today. Yeah, it's just pretty amazing that this is not something that was kind of decided overnight. You know what? I'm going into gaming. I'm going into esports. It's something that you've been actually working on and developing to a smaller degree for the past decade plus. And I know you, you know, you're a gamer probably before that, right? Yeah. So it's just like moment, moment building on top of each step that you were going through. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Do you know why they decided on the name BitSpawn? Why your company has a name BitSpawn? <laughs> to be honest, no. Um, and, and to be also honest, I, I'm not against it. So I, I like the name. I think it's very simple. But no, I'm not, I'm not too familiar to why they called it BitSpawn. Okay, awesome. And even though, even though it's something that you were doing to a smaller degree and you kind of touched upon it, why did you find that, why do you want to do this? Like what's, what's making you feel like you want to be the director of this company and help move it into the direction where, it's, where it has to be? Esports is an industry I've kind of always wanted to be in. 
but I think what excites me the most is the fact that it's it's innovation. I think a lot of companies that are in esports today, one thing to note for sure about esports is that there's no governing body, there's no right or wrong. So everyone that's in it is kind of just doing their own thing and figuring out as they go along. Um, some are trying to match the standards of what a, a professional or an exemplary event would look like, which is great. But no one is deeming that as, yeah, that's the perfect event. So when it comes to anything in esports, I think there's that the, the gray area. And one thing that I like about Bispawn in particular is the fact that like we're going into a super gray area where it's like, all right, we're taking esports, which is already kind of like, where can it go? And now we're bringing it over to blockchain where it's like, damn, really, where can it go? Which to me brings a level of excitement that I wanted to be a part of. So the the journey in itself, I think in the next year or two would be one that's definitely one to tune into because <laughs> uh, esports, I don't think is, is it, I think it's just going to keep growing especially with now the fact that we're going to VR and technology is getting way better. Um, all the PCs that everyone's getting, everything is just kind of elevating. And then blockchain in itself is just now starting to stabilize more. You have people like Elon Musk who are talking about blockchain on a regular, just influencing the market just by a tweet alone. So I think both spaces combined together just make for like a super fun, interesting time. So. Nice. And like, I'd assume that you mentioned the gaming aspect of it. You had interest in the blockchain before prior to this as well? Yeah, a little, a little bit. I would say that um, my interest in blockchain started probably end of last year. I was very familiar with it even before then. I just wasn't too sure on how to get involved as much as I do now. Back then, I think there were a few websites or maybe a handful that literally allowed you to buy the coin. And I'm sure there was others that were there that probably allowed it, but then disappeared after a while, which that's, I think that's where the skeptical part of it came from. But for the most part, um, I was always intrigued. And I think as of recently, now that there's companies like Shakespeare and Coinbase and Binance and the list goes on and on and on, there's so many different avenues in which you can have a wallet of holding cryptocurrency that it's getting to a point where a lot of people that are into stocks that are into that kind of like way of making money. It's, it's, it's interesting. So for me personally, blockchain as of, I would say end of last year has been, yeah, my focus. I've been watching it a lot. Even now I'm still learning different things and different platforms and what that can mean for not only for Bitsbomb, but in general, what can it mean for the whole of the industry? Nice. So just kind of getting an idea of, oh, this sounds interesting. This seems to be making some more sense to something to be looking out for and combining it with your previous love, which just like kind of happened to work out, work out yeah. nicely with your current role to be like, wait a second. You better I can, believe it. I can do both? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, what? This is crazy. No one's going to believe it. But yeah, like now it's my reality, which makes it very, very exciting. So That's awesome. So... Going outside of the company and your role there, how would you just describe your own personal brand? Like outside of the company as you as a whole in your personal life, professional life, how would you mm -hmm. describe your personal brand? <laughs> uh, so I've only recently started to work on a personal brand, at least one for in an esports environment. But as a whole, my my I would say my brand all the way from like 20 to like 24 to start, I would say, 
was very entrepreneurial. Like it was just like trying to figure out like how I wanted to brand myself. What was my focus? Where, where did I want to get into? Where do I want to lead myself to? Um, and I would say around 23, 24, um, a gentleman named Chris Kurgan, who was an entrepreneur himself, um, was at Rogers. And he brought me in he said, listen, you can learn a lot about product um, and product as a whole and what that concept means in a digital world is going to evolve in Canada. It's not huge here yet, but it will be. And when he brought me on, he taught me the ropes. Like, I mean, like there was things that I was learning while at Rogers that I don't know if I could have applied to my business without getting that experience. Because um, when you're when you're just a full on entrepreneur, it's all like you're in it and like you learn and you fail and you succeed just as you go. But sometimes that can hurt your business more than it can benefit. Um, it, it also depends on like who's involved and all that stuff. But when I got that opportunity at Rogers, I, I then found that, okay, I want to be a product owner. Like I want to own and build a product. Um, and that was it. Like, that's all I saw. It wasn't about, um, focus on just, building a community within a company that I, one of the co I'm one of the co-founders of a company called VPN, but it was focused on building the product. Like what, what exactly do I want to see in the long term for, for, for me? Like what, what do I want to be known for when I, you know, get to a point of retirement, like all that started to come to my mind. So, um, my, my brand originally was just like, all right, let me discover that. Then I met Chris Kurgan showed me the ropes. I learned so much from him. He's now, he went to be an entrepreneur. He left Rogers, went to go be an entrepreneur. Um, I don't know what happened past that because I spoke to because he went to New York. And then after that, I believe he's now a director at another company or something like that. But um, that was my brand for a while, um, being a product owner. Then um, I would say that now my brand is kind of making a blend of the two. So I need to have an identity that represents that of esports, but also still represent that of um, being an entrepreneur slash product owner. So that's why I came up with my own esports name called Meek Mills TV, um, which allows me to kind of emerge myself within the community and participate. Because end of the day, the only way you can be the best product owner is to understand the product. So you need to use different platforms, play in these games and understand what's wrong. What can you fix? How can you improve the experience? Which is what ties in nicely to what I'm doing now. So. Yeah, and that's pretty interesting as you as you put it within your journey. I'm just like wondering how they built upon each other. So you started off being an entrepreneurial, really go-getter, trying things, failing quick, learning all of that. <laughs> and then you get a little bit more structure to that as you move into the product realm and really see that. But then now that you know a little bit of that structure, you're kind of backing off and having that little more Wild West feel of like the entrepreneurial strip within the structure of product is that kind of like how i could understand the journey yeah yeah for sure like i would say that i was always doing a parallel of things like it was never really just all right i'm focused on just one thing and this is my career it was like all right i'm doing this but okay wait this excites me i'm gonna do this too oh but wait i like this like this excites me too like some people might call that serial entrepreneur which is like you you jack of all trades master of none but in my time at a young age, like that is the time to do it, right? Like you would want to learn as much as you can and make as many mistakes as you can at a, at a young age. You don't want to do that when there's much more at stake, right? So at my time at that, at that age, I felt like that was the right time to do it. Just anything that grabbed my attention, go for it. 
um, whether that be entrepreneurship, whether that be opportunities that give me the experience that can help grow me um, and just taking on any challenge that comes my way, which is a lot of to what you what you're saying, right? So becoming an entrepreneur and then bleeding into a product owner and then going back to being an entrepreneur full throttle. So yeah. And you feel like within your journey and your own personal brand and doing all of these things, did you ever feel like your identity played a part in it or like had had affected what you're able to do? Well, what do you mean by identity? Like my upbringing or? I, uh, upbringing, um, your skin color, how you identify in the world, things like that. Do you ever feel like it was, it affected you? Um, uh, I mean, yes and no. Like in my, to my point, like, oh, not to my point, but to like my experiences are, they all differ. So, I mean, end of the day, I've always been immersed in a very, multicultural environment everywhere I am. So it's like, I've, I've never really experienced anything beyond just me being a product owner and am I good at it? Yes or no. <laughs> um, so I, I don't think my identity has been in it, impacted in any way based on my journey all the way through. However, a lot of what I'm trying to accomplish now has been or was an impact to all the things that I've experienced over the past, like, you know, X amount of years. So my, my focus now and who I am now, I would say is like a con accumulation of all the things that I've experienced from all the way from 14 till to this day. But I don't, I don't think there's anything in particular that um, would have changed that or anything I've experienced in the past that would change that. Okay. Got it. So you've just been building on what you've been working on for like your whole life. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And did you did you expect that you would kind of end up where you're at today if like you were went back to your 14 year old self and was like, hey, you know you're going to be a director of product for a gaming company? <laughs> no, I'm, I wouldn't at all. No, not to say that um, I would change anything at all. But like when I was 14, I was thinking I was going to be like the next soccer star. Like that's that's where my focus was, which is what comes with the passion of me focusing on, um, you know, FIFA for a lot of the events that I hosted in between. Um, but for the most part, no, like I would say that it, I got into digital near the end of university. So just understanding, you know, building a product on a platform, e-commerce and understanding all those different journeys and touch points. I think it all started then, but anywhere between that, I thought I was gonna become like a lawyer or a soccer player. Like that's kind of where I was before, but um, a lot of that experience that I had helped pivot and pivot really well into those spaces. So that's, that was kind of the journey. So everything up until that point was just, you know, whatever applies, applies to, to what I am. Yeah. Do you still play soccer today or did you like have to kind of give up on soccer entirely as you switched gears? Man, like <laughs> I play, but it's not the same. Like I, I would say that I, I still play as much as I can. I mean, a lot of how I play now is I play in, you know, men's leagues here and there. I mean, COVID obviously has put a stop to me participating in a lot of those events, but, and from time to time, I'll do pickup soccer. Um, and, and that's my way of getting, you know, still maintaining my, my life in that sport. But for the most part, I don't play as much as I, as I did in my younger years. Yeah. And I know, I know from experience that you have been running like even soccer tournaments for FIFA. And so, so it seems like it's, it's further away where you can't dedicate your life to it, but it's still a valued part of your life. Would you say that? Yeah, of course. 
like soccer is a very big part of my life. I watch every Champions League and World Cup and Euro Cup that comes on. But like in terms of participating in it as much, um, I would say it's more for fun now and exercise. But I still have a deep love for the sport. Awesome. And for you starting this new adventure and things in your life, I just want to know a time that you went on to a new venture or started a new project that you haven't mastered the skills required for it. Like when was the last time that happened? master the skills for it you know that's a tough one like in my career i think a lot of the things that i tackled on or took on like i I would say i was never really the master to start but i made it i made it very clear to the people that i was working with that i will be (laughs) so like for me i can use any thing that i've done anyway from 21 till now like i've always taken on new challenges and I would find that most of the challenges I've I put myself in areas in which I felt some level of discomfort or, you know, I've had points where this might be difficult because I've taken on more than my plate could handle, but this is how I'm going to learn. And even after all those experiences, I think I, I would say I've came out on top. So in my mind, I don't, I don't think there's very many instances in which I can say that. I was never a master of. I don't think anyone is really a master of anything until they, they, you know, get into it and just try it out, whatever that is. Yeah. And that's one thing that I'm always kind of trying to understand these days where as you're switching roles, as we're progressing further in our careers and doing things that are making us stretch more, trying Mm -hmm. to really understand like, what are some of the things that you've done in switching to those roles that made you feel more comfortable when you kind of stretched yourself a little further than you were probably able to do today. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So, so for me, like for any promotion I've ever received or any opportunities I get, I would say that you should typically try to, to work above your means, right? Everyone knows that if your job title is product manager, there's an expectation there, right? In terms of what you were supposed to work on, what you're supposed to deliver. But if you're looking to get promoted or move into a new industry or take on something new, you have to start doing that new stuff on top of the work you're already doing. And and that's where you're now excelling and exceeding what's expected of you. So for me, um, like in terms of any promotion I've ever gotten with Rogers, it was like that where I was doing way above the means of what was expected of me, which allowed me to progress because I've shown um, not only to myself that I'm capable, but to whoever is managing me at that time. And not only that, like for you, it's, it's a necessity to go and do trial and error because it's not expected of you. So when it's not expected of you to do it, but you're doing it, that's when you learn. Um, and at that point, you're no longer at a point where it's like, oh, I'm hired to do this. I have to do this. Like if I don't do this now, this is not the time to have a learning curve, right? This is the time where you're expected to deliver. So now going into my role today, I was already doing the contract work for it, right? So for me, I was already expanding my horizon, kind of experiencing and dipping my toes into blockchain and understanding more about what it means and what it could mean for the industry. And that was more of my trial and error period. So now by the time I'm in this role, I'm not completely brand new to it. This is, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm supposed to do and what I'm supposed to deliver on. So let's see where I can take it. Yeah. And I hear you out on that where you kind of do your trial and error early and then are constantly trying to adjust more to your new roles. But I see like a slippery slope of when you're looking to do your next role where you're going to be stretching a little bit more, 
and you're not giving yourself that affordance of trial and error. It's like how I'm interpreting it. That seems to be something that's dangerous to be like, you get to these higher roles, you still should be trying to learn from that role and learn within that role. But it feels like there's a barrier from you doing some trial and error because there's a whole lot more at risk so that you can move on to that next step. So you find that that's something that's that could end up happening when you start going into that mentality of I've done my trial and error. Now I just have to do. Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. And I, I so for most companies, I think it, it depends on obviously who's hiring, but for the most part, there's always a, a rule of thumb. Um, and, and the rule of thumb that I found, especially when working at some of these corporations was like, there's a six month buffer period, right? Once you join in, there's an expectation that, between day one and month six, like you will make mistakes there. You will still need to understand the business. You'll still need to, you know, X, Y, Z. And after the six months, now you should be rock solid, right? So you have half a year to figure out what it is that your role is and how you can better the company or organization that you're associated or working with. Um, and, And that's kind of the construct. But I would say that to avoid that and keep accelerating in your career, that six months, you could do that six months in your current position to advance it. And that's kind of what I've done for myself to enable myself to get to where I am today. So a lot of, I think a lot of people sometimes are overloaded or overwhelmed because they have a lot of work on their plate, but you have to create time to do those things. And once you do that, then you're going to see or feel a lot more um, positivity towards what you're doing for your career as opposed to, all right, I got to wake up. All right, I'm going to do my nine to five and that's it. Like I'm done. But end of day, like you want to get past that, right? Like what is your vision for, you know, year one, two, three after this? And that's, and that's kind of what motivated me to go ahead and just do that. Got it. So, and I always try to understand what, what it's given to me. So basically the tactic that you did and you found very effective for yourself was fast tracking yourself. Oh, voice cracking, right? Fast tracking yourself into the role you want to become in your current role where it's safer to do that and make those mistakes. Absolutely. Yeah. So at that point, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, I'm going to do this because I want to, right. And I want to learn and develop and accelerate my career. But at the same time, like if I make those mistakes, um, it's not what's expected of me. I'm doing it above and beyond. So even then at that time, like that's when mentorship comes into play and they're like, Oh, well, you're taking this on. Let me mentor you. Like there's a lot of like really good things that happen in that area, as opposed to making those mistakes in what's expected of you. Um, Cause depending on who you're managing per- person is, it's always different, right? You're never going to get someone that's always amazed and, you know, pushing you, even though you're making mistakes and what's expected of you. But you might get that person. It's just not consistent. So it's better to try and make those things happen um, above and beyond what you're currently expected to do, which typically is like what I've been doing from ground one till today. So it, it works for me. Yeah. And that's a kind of that's a good concept uh, to really think about and kind of look at it being like, hey, wherever you're at today, do a little more of where you want to be. Add some of that into your routine so that when you get there, you feel less of. Because like one thing that I always look at and I'm trying to understand is like imposter syndrome. Like if you yeah. go to a role and you're doing the things and you're like, I may not have done X, Y, and Z, but I did ABC. So now yeah. I feel lost. I don't belong here. Like if you start working on X, Y, Z in your previous role, it could help you feel more comfortable 
in your new role so that you're not feeling that I don't belong here. I'm a fraud. Uh, if I don't do this, they're going to catch me and they're going to fire me within that six month period where it's kind of safe and things like that. So I think that's like an important lesson to learn to help cope with those feelings. And I don't think that it's, it's an easy job because yeah. you have to do your regular duties. Plus you have to do whatever is expected of that next level. And you also, um, just from my understanding, have to not tread on anybody's toes while <laughs> doing it, right? Because you don't want to go and be doing role stuff of your manager, talking to business, talking to designers and everything and yeah. going over their heads when you know like you have to report to them. And this is not like you taking everything. So I think those are like, things from that that I'm like really understanding and seeing like how to be more effective when you're going within this role and going yeah. to that next role and like starting your first role. Exactly. You got it. Awesome. 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 And just like for this, for this pandemic, you mentioned at the beginning and you've made a change in your career path during this time. So from that, what did you learn about this pandemic that you didn't really know about yourself before i didn't learn too much um mainly because the industry i'm in um wasn't really impacted like i've been in digital and product ownership for quite some time and being in that industry means that as long as the servers are up you're okay so from my perspective it, as soon as the pandemic hit it was just a deciding factor of do we go into the office or do we work from home because we can do either or um so that that didn't really impact me too much. However, um, in terms of understanding the industry and what it means to everyone else, I think it helped me better understand that there is a very big need for consistency, especially for services that customers want to use and or consume. And that goes in any digital environment. So when it comes to like internet, losing internet for a day, especially in a pandemic, that's a problem. It goes to, oh, you need something delivered to you. Oh, that that's not working. Oh, that's a problem. And I think anybody can can say that when when it was really at the peak of COVID and you wanted to do an Uber Eats and there's not enough delivery for people, like that's a problem. Um, now I actually have to go out and go get food, or I have to go get groceries, and it's like I don't know if I feel comfortable. But it's like oh, I can't do any because I have no internet. Lovely, this is great. The whole experience is great. So I think the importance of that became bigger as as I understood it from working from home and having that look, that privilege to, to see how important it is to customers that those things are consistent. Yeah. Imagine having to actually go outside of your home to go and get food, right? It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> At peak COVID, I think a lot of people thought it was. <laughs> but, but during the times now, like, of course, everyone's being a lot more cautious and, you know, there's all the precautions are in place. So, People getting groceries now and they cook for themselves is not not as big of a deal. But during peak COVID, like if you the the ability to have people deliver food was such a priority. I, I think a lot of the grocery stores had came up with many different apps, iterations on the app. I know Uber Eats pivoted to allow for delivery of groceries. That was a, a launch they had. Um, Skip the dishes, DoorDash, all of them. And I think everyone knew that because I was very scared of going. I went to grocery store a couple times myself during peak. And I, I kid you not, like it was bare bones in the grocery stores. Like these grocery stores have hundreds of people and I would go in, there's like 20. <laughs> like that's, that's what I mean in terms of like the, the concern at the peak time. But now obviously everyone's has, has adapted. So. Yeah. Awesome. 
I'm glad that glad that everything is safe with you and we could have this conversation <laughs> and we're getting your groceries and you're still fed throughout. <laughs> yeah, I am fed. <laughs> awesome. So next segment that I want to move into is our rapid fire segment. Um, sure. Here, I just ask a few questions, just don't have to give a lot of long answers, just whatever comes to mind, whatever is the best to answer it as concisely as possible. If you want to do another, a little extra longer than that, it's up to you. But they're really sure. just to give small little pieces of nuggets of knowledge to share with the listeners. Cool. So first question is, what is one attru- attribute that has contributed to your success slash growth? Passion and curiosity, but passion being number one. Who has been a great inspiration? I would say last year, Carl Edwin. He's he's the co-founder or founder, sorry, of Northern Arena. And just where he's at and what he's accomplished in the many years he's been in the industry, it's it's been an inspiration. Great. And who has been your biggest cheerleader for your success? Myself. <laughs> I would say myself in this case, yeah. How do you celebrate your wins? In game or in life? In life. I don't really do much to me I, I think as soon as i accomplish something i move on to the next so i don't really take any time to celebrate it got it and what's one lie you had to stop telling yourself <laughs> ea will prioritize fixing the one game mode we support on my other company platform <laughs> <laughs> what is a hobby that you do outside of work that keeps you grounded uh soccer best advice you have ever received when you build a product build it conceptually, drive interest of the, the, the concept, and if people buy into it, build it. If you had 60 seconds with yourself when you came out of high school, what advice would you have given him? Uh, 60 seconds? Uh, buy Bitcoin, cliche, I guess. Have more faith in yourself, and every relationship you, mean, you, you will build will mean the world to you. Um, I think that's about it. Because anything past that, I'm, I'm, I'm like an overthinker. So I would definitely overthink my own message if I gave myself two, 60 seconds to say it. 60 seconds turns into an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I say that and then I'm bouncing back. What do you mean? Like, what does that mean? It becomes convoluted. Fair enough. So what is one book that you'd recommend? Uh, one book I recently got is The Fountainhead by Anne Rand. Uh, I would recommend that. It was recommended to me by a fellow entrepreneur. So I'm actually just starting it now. So yeah, I'd recommend that. If it's been recommended by someone else, I think it might be good. Great. And what's one piece of parting advice for our listeners? Ha, blockchain is the future, but make sure that you truly do your research before you invest or buy into it. Because there's a lot of people that are getting into it that are not in it for the long run. They're in it for the temporary. And how could the listeners best reach you? They can reach me at nico at bitspawn.gg or my LinkedIn profile, which is my full gubby name, so <laughs> Nicolin Burnett. Um, and they can add me there and send me any DMs they want if they have any questions. Awesome. Nico, thank you so much for being on the, a guest on the show today. I really do think that we got a lot of great knowledge from you and there's a lot of things we could learn to help move our lives forward. And I really do appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much. No, thanks for having me, Jermaine. Appreciate it. Awesome. And that's another episode of Breaking the Imposter. Thank you, everybody. And I'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking the Imposter. To stay up to date when episodes are released or to become a guest on the podcast, you can visit our website at www.breakingtheimposter.com. 
follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so we can make sure the imposter stays broken.